0: Teachings that do not speak of pain have no meaning because humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return.
1: In alchemy, to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. This is Equivalent Exchange.
0: Welcome to Equivalent Exchange, a podcast about Full Metal Alchemists by Hiroma Arakawa. I'm Kayla. I'm Ellen. And I'm Kasum. today we're discussing chapters 44 and 45. Yay! <coughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs>
1: I never know if I should yay anymore because <laughs> all of them are sad. <laughs> yeah. it's like they're yay. Always... I'm happy to talk about about FMA, but mm-hmm. they're always
0: good. So that's true; <laughs> they are always good. So we're gonna do our usual thing: uh, summary, recap, and then discussion. No yeah, banter. I mean,
1: <laughs> <laughs> let's just jump right in. You know, <laughs> we need to give the give the people what they're waiting for. They're not waiting for banter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for me.
0: <laughs> all right, let's start. All right. <laughs> let's start into something depressing right away. Okay. <laughs> Chapter 44 opens with Ed and Panako sitting beside the bones they dug up.
1: <laughs> I'm laughing because it's sad. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> the rain has stopped and the sun begins to peek through the clouds again, not at all symbolically. <laughs> Ed tells Panaco that he wants to make a proper grave, though he doesn't have an answer when she asks what he'll put on the headstone. This thing, I don't know how, but I saw it move. It looked at me, he says. It was a real human being, if only for a moment. I gave it life and watched it die. It was a human being. It deserves a grave. So they rebury it properly, this time with a simple plain stone marker at its grave. Panaka watches as Ed crouches down and puts a hand on the stone, contemplating how loosely he's applying the term human. But if he didn't, maybe he'd have to admit that his younger brother isn't human either, she thinks. With that thought in mind, she steps closer. Ed, I know what you're thinking. If this isn't Trisha, then Al is if human transmutation is impossible, then what about the soul that you transmuted for Al? Ed frowns in thought and says that there's still a lot he needs to check on. Granny, there's no doubt that Al and I are mom's children, right? he asks. Panaco confirms that. She helped with the delivery of both boys. Okay, Ed says. Okay, good. My information about the soul was correct, but I still failed. Okay. He heads back toward the Rockbell house. Panaka looking slightly puzzled as she follows behind. Over in Doubleth, Zumi answers the phone. Oh, Ed, it's you. What's going on? she asks. Nervously, Ed tells her that he has a question to ask, but it might offend her. Answering it might destroy something very dear to you, so if you don't want to answer, please just hang up the phone, he says. You can even cut all ties with me as your apprentice. Actually, you already expelled me, didn't you? Zumi cuts him off and tells him to just hurry up and ask. Teacher, do you remember anything about the time you tried to transmute your child? She's surprised by that, then her expression becomes somber. How could I forget, she says, remembering a tiny hand lying limp in a pool of blood. What about it? The person that Al and I brought into this world wasn't actually our mother, Ed explains. What are you trying to say, she asks. He hesitates, then. Teacher, was the life that you transmuted really your child? Zumi looks confused by the question at first, then her eyes go wide as the implication hits and she abruptly slams the phone down on its receiver. Ed flinches at the sound, then frowns worriedly at the phone in his hand. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Sometime later on, Ed and Panako stand in front of the graves of Rui and Sarah Rockbell. They said my son and his wife saved a lot of lives on the battlefield, huh? That makes me a proud parent, Panako says. I don't suppose they told you how they died? Ed turns away. No, they didn't say. He lies. Panako doesn't look entirely convinced, but she doesn't push it. I see, is all she says. They move on to Trisha's grave, and Ed asks if Hohenheim said where he was going. Panako says he didn't tell her anything. That bastard, Ed gripes. He stayed just long enough to say what he wanted and then disappeared, right when I was getting ready to let him have it, too. That reminds Panako of something. Oh, I almost forgot. If you see him, I've got a message I want you to give him. Trisha's last wish. We then get a brief flashback to Trisha, bedridden, as she asks Panako to pass on her message, despite Panako's insistence that she'll get better and tell him herself. Tell him that I couldn't keep my promise to him. I'll be passing on before him, she says with a gentle smile. And please tell him that I'm sorry. Promise? What promise? Ed asks. Panako says she doesn't know, but she told him, so now he needs to tell Hohenheim. Ed predictably gripes about this, and Panako says, He might be useless, but he's still your father. The night he returned, he bowed his head and apologized to me for not coming back for you boys. He said that he couldn't do anything for you as a parent. He just doesn't want to be a parent, that's all. But Ed agrees to pass on the message if he sees him again. After I slug him in the face. (laughs) Panako asks if Ed is going back to Central now. I need to get back to Al so he can chew me out, he says, smiling sheepishly. I just hope he can still find it in his heart to forgive his big brother. Ed has a little more to apologize for than he thinks, (laughs) since Al and Winry are still effectively being held hostage in the hotel they can't pay for without him. (laughs) In Central, Winry is on the phone apologizing to her automail master Garfield for being unable to return yet while the hotel manager looks on grumpily. Raphael tisks over what kind of man makes a girl worry about money, then cheerfully tells her that he can extend her vacation for as long as she needs, but she'll have to work extra hard when she gets back. Ed arrives at just that moment, innocently greeting her with a, hey, Winry, to which she responds with a shouted, you idiot! (laughs) He hurriedly tells her that he didn't break his automail this time, (laughs) but she says that's not it. Just hurry up and go see Al, she says, grabbing him by the shoulders and hurrying him out of the lobby. He gripes about this treatment for a moment, but stops when he notices the worried look on her face. The reason becomes obvious to him once he steps into their room and sees Al in his post-lust battle state of disrepair. Al, you're all busted up. What kind of trouble have you been getting into while I've been away? He shouts, and then, still shouting, he turns to where Ling and Lonfon are gorging themselves on room service and demands, And what the heck are you two doing here? What's it look like? We're eating, Ling says. (laughs) Ed promptly boots them both out the door. (laughs) That taken care of, Ed examines the damage and declares that he'll have to use some metal from the rest of the armor to fix him, and it will make Al's body a little thinner as a result. Al doesn't respond, looking down silently, and Ed asks what's wrong. So Al explains everything that went down while Ed uses his alchemy to fix him up. "'The homunculi and bury the chopper, huh?' he says when he finishes up. "'Sounds like things were rather festive while I was gone. And there's still that little problem that your body and soul might reject one another at any time.' "'Al can be returned to normal, right, Ed?' Winry asks, concerned. "'You can bet on it. I'll return him to normal no matter what,' Ed says firmly. He then, after slight hesitation, tells Al about digging up the result of their human transmutation attempt. You what? Both Al and Winry cry, and Ed quickly cuts in with, And this is what I found out! The thing we buried was not our mother. Al is stunned silent. He sits heavily and holds his head in both hands. But that means, wait a minute, he mumbles, and then, Big brother, how could you go off and do something like that without telling me? Don't yell at me just yet, Ed says. I'm convinced that you can be returned to your original body. Really? Al and Winry asks again at the same time. Ed says that he needs to ask the two of them a question, then gets very embarrassed as he says, A long time ago, Al and I fought over who would marry Winry. Do you guys remember that? Al and Winry both cheerfully reminisce over that happening when they were little, and Ed, still embarrassed, continues. Al told me that you turned us both down. Is that true? Yep, I rejected you both, Winry confirms. How come? Ed asks. Al and Winry look at each other, then both declare that her reason had been, I don't like guys who are shorter than me. Which has predictable results. (laughs) Once Ed's ranting settles down, Winry asks him why he's asking about that. And he says that he wants to see what memories Al has that he doesn't. He asks if they can think of any more. And Al and Winry happily share a collection of childhood memories they share, most of which seem to involve pranking Ed while he was asleep. (laughs) He despairs a bit over all that, but pulls himself together to give his conclusion. That settles it. I couldn't possibly know about those things. And all of those memories took place before you turned ten, he says. If you have memories from before the accident, it means that the ally bonded to the suit of armor on that day must be the real Al. That explains your memories from before you were 10, but what about your memories after the accident? I mean, you don't have a brain, so where are all your memories since then being stored? Al suggests the blood sigil that Ed used in the transmutation, but Ed says it's just a symbol keeping the soul bound to the armor. I have a hunch, Ed continues, that Al's body still exists somewhere, and his brain is still functioning. Oh, like Barry the Chopper, Al says. His soul existed separate from his body. Ed then runs down the alchemical concept of the body, soul, and spirit, and says that he thinks the spirit is what connects body and soul. The body and soul are drawn to one another because they're connected by the spirit, Al concludes. Could it be that Al's soul and original body are still somehow connected by his spirit, Ed says? On that day, I unconsciously said, they took him. You didn't die, you were taken. Your body was taken, not as an ingredient for mom's transmutation, but as a toll to pass through the portal of truth. And then I paid another toll, giving my right arm to pull your soul back out. He thinks of the truth standing in the white void, and those massive doors in the shadowy realm beyond them, then continues. Mom is with the dead now. It's impossible to pull someone with no ties to life out of the portal. But Al, I was able to pull your soul out. It's a sign that you still exist among the living. Ed remembers reaching out toward the distant glowing figure as he went through the portal, and says that whatever he saw in there wasn't their mother. He urges Al to try and remember what he saw, since with his greater toll he went further than Ed. What did you see? Who was it? He asks. And Al remembers, suddenly, that image of his own half-formed body grinning back at him as it grasped his hand. "'It was me,' he says. "'Mom wasn't there at all.' "'That's right. You're the one who's trapped there,' Ed says. Then Al recalls a part of the memory that's a bit more grim, Ed struggling across the floor as he bleeds from the stump of his leg, seen through a narrow, tilted eye. "'Back then, I was looking at you, big brother, through the eyes of what we thought was Mom,' he realizes. Ed looks shocked, then grimaces. It was luck that during the tragic incident your soul wasn't bound to that thing he says and al realizes that that body must have rejected his soul so that wasn't mom al says quietly and the three of them grow somber once more it begins to apologize i'm not asking for your forgiveness he says looking down i transmuted some totally unrelated entity and dragged you into it and now i've given you a body that's a ticking time bomb i but a knock on the door interrupts them before he can say any more it's one of the hotel workers, telling Ed that he has a phone call at the front desk from Izumi. On the phone, Izumi tells Ed that she got the hotel number from Panako, then says that she began looking into her and Sig's family trees after he called, and she discovered that the features of the child she transmuted could never have come from the two of them. You've found something, haven't you? She says. Yes, Ed replies. The dead, those whose bodies are lost to death, can never return. That is the conclusion I've come to. Okay, that's good, Izumi says. Since Al never really died, his body is still alive. She gives a small, rueful smile and adds, Back then, I thought I had solved the greatest mystery of alchemy, but I was wrong, and I paid dearly for it. That was the toll, the price I had to pay for treading in a land I had no business being in. Ed. Ed jumps to attention, but all Izumi says to him is, Thank you. And then she hangs up the phone. Slightly puzzled, Ed goes and meets Al by the stairs and begins to head up. I don't know why, but she said thank you, he says when Al asks what their teacher had to say. Al is silent for a moment and says, Oh, okay. Ed stops partway up the stairs and turns to face him. Ever since that day when things went wrong, I blamed myself, Al admits, but I was afraid to say anything. I thought—he begins to shake as he remembers that terrible day again—I thought Mom was turned into that thing because of me. If I hadn't done something wrong, Mom would be alive and we'd still be normal. That's what I thought. I blamed myself too, Ed says, and Al buries his face in his hands. Thank you, big brother, he says. I wasn't the one who killed Mom after all." Over in Dublin, Sig puts an arm around Izumi as tears run down her cheeks. "'I feel like a great weight has been lifted from my soul,' she says, wiping them away. "'I didn't cause my child to die a second time. Still, what we did is unforgivable,' she says, and we see a glimpse of her own transmutation attempt, Izumi clutching at her stomach in agony, blood pouring from her mouth as she struggles to reach the lifeless hand at the center of the circle. "'I'll never forget that day,' she thinks, that tiny hand awash in a pool of blood. I still see it in my dreams. There's not a day that's gone by that I don't think about it. I deserve the punishment I received. Out loud, she says, my body can no longer bear children. And as for those two brothers who only wanted the warmth of family, Al's body was taken into the void and Ed lost his last remaining family member, not to mention the leg he needed to stand on his own. The truth is cruel, but justified. But Ed did get back on his feet, Sig points out, and Azumi smiles. That's true, she says. That boy may have what it takes to defeat the truth someday. Back with the boys, Ed states that he's still to blame for putting Al in his armor or body, and that he can't be forgiven if he gives up now. I won't stop until I find a way to get your original body back, he says. But Al protests that he shares an equal amount of the guilt. You don't have to shoulder the burden alone, he says. You always try to take all the blame yourself. It's painful to watch, seeing you suffer like that. After Mr. Hughes died, I told myself that if getting my original body back meant someone else might get hurt, I didn't want to pursue it. I met some people who weren't really human either, but they still managed to find meaning in their existence. He thinks of Barry the Chopper, of Greed and his gang of Chimera followers. They made me realize that I can still live a full life, and the people I care about treat me no differently than if I was still human. We see Winry on the landing above, quietly listening to the brothers' talk, as well as Ling and Lon sitting below the stairs. Al puts his hand to his chest and continues, This metal body is like a time bomb, but are human beings made of flesh and blood really any different? After all, you can never predict when sickness or an accident might take your life. I'm not handicapped by this body if I choose to live a normal life. But I've had enough. I i don't want to spend my nights awake and alone anymore. That's the only reason I want to return to normal. I want my original body back. Al, I just want to see you smile again. That's all, Ed says. But I don't want to drag anyone else into this, Al says. I want to be strong enough to protect the people around me. I'm going to get my body back, and I'm not going to lose anyone else in the process. Ed laughs. I was thinking the same thing. He turns and heads up the stairs at a quickened pace, looking determined, and Al follows. There's no more time to sit around and mope, Ed declares. We're going to track down that bastard truth and pull your body back from that place. As the boys reach the landing and start heading down the hall, Winry falls in the step behind them. But she stops for a moment as she catches sight of Ed striding confidently beside his brother. Huh? She thinks. When did he get such broad shoulders? It's true love!
2: <laughs> There's
0: feelings. <laughs> <laughs> so many feelings. I mean, feelings that aren't just despair and sadness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back at the hospital, Breda is reporting his lack of luck retrieving Dr. Marco to Roy, then adds that he's used up all his vacation days for the year, so he can't move around as freely anymore. So we're stuck, Roy says, frowning. They head back toward the hospital room he shares with Havoc, and they spot a soldier and an older woman who is crying, leaving the room. My mother, Havoc explains as they enter, and someone from the discharge office. This startles Roy, but Havoc just calmly states that they've decided to discharge him due to his injury. Now wait just a minute. What are you going to do as a civilian? Breda asks. My family owns a store in the East Area countryside. I can at least answer phones for them. But the doctors still aren't certain you can't be cured, Roy says. Havoc's hands clench around the sheets. I'm not so stupid, sir, that I don't know when I'm no longer useful. The military has no use for a pawn who can't move. So you're just giving up? Roy demands. What am I supposed to do with these legs? But don't you look at me like that, Havoc finally snaps. He grabs Roy by the collar and yanks him down to his level. Just forget about me, he shouts. Move on without me. You don't have time to worry about a low-ranking soldier like me. Did you forget your promise to Brigadier General Hughes? Breda moves to intervene, but Havoc is shaking now. The anger in his face has turned to anguish. "'Look at me,' he says. "'I can't even raise myself out of bed without someone to help me. I don't need your pity. Just cut me off. Don't waste any more time on me. Please.' Roy looks down at him, his face unreadable. "'All right,' he says eventually. "'I'll leave you behind.' Havoc looks shocked for a moment, then squeezes his eyes shut, resigned. But Roy isn't done. "'I'll leave you behind.' To make sure you have someone to catch up with, he says. I'm moving on. See you at the top. And he strides out of the room. Risa reaches out to help Havoc lie back down. That man, he didn't forsake me when I'd given up on life, and then he asked me to keep protecting his back, she tells him. He's not capable of giving up on anyone. He's a fool, Havoc says, looking near tears. There's no way he can rise to the top in this country by being so soft. Risa gives a small smile. There's a place for at least one fool like that in this world. Out in the hallway, we see that Roy's dramatic exit didn't get him very far before he had to slump against the wall, panting and clutching at his injured side. Risa approaches him and tells him not to push himself so hard that he reopens his wound, but he just tells her to bring him his uniform. Sir, you're still in no condition to check out of here, Risa protests. Just bring it, he orders sharply. Risa takes in his determined expression and says, yes, sir. But what she really meant was... I love you. <laughs> over at HQ, Major Armstrong is striding through the hallway when he runs into Danny Brosh, who asks about his vacation. Armstrong hesitates, remembering Maria asking him not to tell Brosh that she was still alive, since he's so bad at keeping secrets. The East was full of beautiful women, he eventually settles on saying. Brosh doesn't quite seem to know how to respond to that, but thankfully he has an urgent message to pass on and can change the subject. It concerns all high-ranking alchemists, he says, handing over the notice. Armstrong reads it and is immediately alarmed. Contact Colonel Mustang at once, he orders. Edward Elrack might still be at the hotel. Let him know right away. Brush salutes and hurries off, and Armstrong crumples a note in his hand with a worried expression. In over scenes of destruction, we hear the alert for ourselves. To all personnel in Central City, the man known as Scar, who was thought to have died in East City, has reappeared. He has killed three new victims, all of them state alchemists. According to military police reports, he is a well-built-ish male with a cross-shaped scar across his forehead and an intricate tattoo that covers his entire right arm. In a meeting room, we see Fuhrer Bradley listening to the broadcast. So you plan to stand in our way once again, Scar, he says. And that's the end of chapter forty four. The end. <laughs> yeah, it was sadder than I remember it being. <laughs> mm-hmm. What Which... <laughs> you mean the part with Havoc specifically? Just was like all of it. I was like, yeah. there's some fun parts in this chapter, I think. And then I was like, Oh no, it's no. pretty much all. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nope. <laughs> You lied to me at the beginning when I said I was
1: concerned about (laughs) yaying. There was, well, there was Mm ship-teasing. Yeah. At
0: least in my opinion. (laughs) Definitely from wondering. There's some, like, cathartic sad, too. Yeah. But Yeah. yeah. There's definitely some, like,
3: hope and and sort of
0: the signs of things
3: being turned around. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Like, um, that was the first time that we know that Izumi did the transmutation, human transmutation, but... We never saw it. Wasn't this the first time?
0: Mm -hmm. I think so. I think so.
1: Yeah. I don't know if there's more times, but I mean, like we'd never seen it before. I guess is what Mm -hmm. I'm saying. Yeah. So yeah, on top of on top of egg digging up the bones, there was a lot of crazy shit that was revealed in this chapter. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. All right. That was the
1: last chapter, right? No, is there one Mm -hmm. more? Oh, okay. Sorry. That was just
3: the first chapter. I was. Mm -hmm. I
1: know. I was kind of like that was long, but I think it's just kind of it is kind of a long chapter. I guess that's. I guess that's what happened. Go on, we'll talk after. That's why I was like, mm-hmm. why are you saying all right, aren't we? Ta-
0: <laughs> Pardon. Pardon me. Chapter 45 opens with Scar meeting the new additions to his traveling party. <laughs> <laughs> so fresh-faced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who are they? He asks, pointing at Mei and Xiaomei with a sour expression while Yoki grovels in the background. May cheerfully introduces herself and says, Your master, Mr. Yoki, was kind enough to save my life. I'm here to repay my debt to him. Master Scar says, glaring in Yoki's direction. Yoki averts his gaze and whistles innocently. <laughs> Turning back to May, he tells her that her debt's forgiven and to get out of here. Though he seems slightly taken aback by the adorable tiny panda wandering up to him. <laughs> <laughs> but May takes an interest in his tattoo. Those are symbols of the purification arts, she says. The dragon waves a technique based on knowledge of the earth's flow. That tattoo is used to control the flow. It's the foundation of the purification arts in my country. Scar asks if she's from Shin, then explains that his brother became interested in alchemy after reading texts from a traveler from Shin. This is the result of his research, he says, holding up his arm. What is your brother doing now? May asks innocently. He's dead, he answers bluntly. He was killed by a state alchemist. (laughs) Motivation. (laughs) It's finally clear. (laughs) (laughs) Back at the hotel, Al suddenly worries if his body might be rotting. (laughs) Wherever it is, it's not getting any nutrients, is it? He asks, a bit frantic. And it's not getting any sleep either, right? Even if I do get my body back, what if it's starting to rot and fall apart like Barry the Choppers? His anxiety is contagious, and Winry begins to fret as well. What are we going to do, Ed? (laughs) Ed looks thoughtful for a moment. This is just a hypothesis, he begins. But when we tried to transmute Mom, you and I mixed our blood together, remember? And when we were taken to that place, we were both deconstructed. So maybe, in the process, our spirits crossed. What are you trying to say, Al asks. I'm here and you're somewhere else, but maybe we're still connected somehow, Ed explains. I mean, for my age, I'm pretty cho- sh- short. <laughs> he crumbles in misery for a moment, and Al and Winry both silently marvel at him admitting it, confronting his issue. <laughs> <laughs> are you saying that your body's providing nutrition for Al's body too, and that's why you're so small? That's ridiculous, Winry says. It's not ridiculous, he snaps back. The reason you're not growing is because you don't drink milk, Winry says, and then the two descend into a familiar bickering section. Now that I think about it, Big Brother does sleep an awful lot, Al thinks to himself as he watches them. (laughs) Could he be sleeping for my body, too? Out loud, he gives a little laugh and says he hopes it's true. After all, we're brothers. We share the same blood. That's right, the two of us together make one person, Ed says, and the two of them share a brotherly fist bump. (laughs) (laughs) Ed then cheerfully declares that that means he'll grow taller when Al has returned to normal and Al tells him that he has to take better care of himself since he's taking care of both of them, including <laughs> drinking his milk. That temper of yours could be a sign of calcium deficiency, he teases. <laughs> Ed gripes that he is growing, even if it doesn't seem like it. And I'm not a kid anymore, so quit nagging. This seems to make Winry uncomfortable in some way, as she quickly stands and stretches and says she has to start packing since so she can finally head back to Rush Valley. She closes the door to the boys' room behind her and takes a moment to lean against it, remembering that sight of Ed walking down the hall that had struck her earlier. That's true, she thinks. You're not a kid anymore. Back with the brothers, they've moved on to trying to work out a plan to move forward with their renewed goals. Their major question is how to open the portal again. We could do it if we pay the proper toll, Hal says. But what can we sacrifice this time, Ed asks in reply. He looks contemplatively at his remaining flesh hand, and Al immediately notices. You're thinking, what's another limb or two, aren't you? He says. (laughs) You can't do that. We promised each other that we both get our original bodies back. "I I know, Ed says, holding his hands up in appeasement. He smiles. You're right. We made a promise. Al then brings up the Philosopher's Stone, which they both dismiss for requiring human lives in its creation. They fall back into frustrated silence as they continue thinking, Ed hilariously slumped face down on his pillow. (laughs) Then Ed thinks of something and sits back up. That reminds me. They called us precious human sacrifices. That's why they didn't want us to die. Al adds that Les said that those with the power to open the portal were chosen as sacrifices, and they contemplate what that means. Do they plan to make them open the portal for some reason? Ed then lists off everything they don't know about the homunculi. Who created them? Who controls them? How connected are they to the military? How much does the Fuhrer know? And why did he eliminate Greed and his crew? Did Greed rebel against them? "Ah, I never should have turned down Greed's offer to make a deal, Ed yells in frustration. Val quickly points out that that probably would have just resulted in the Fuhrer taking them out too, so the truth wouldn't have been any good to them. The Fuhrer was unbelievably strong, Al adds. It was almost like he wasn't human. What if he's a homunculus? Ed suggests very seriously. Then they both laugh that off as a ridiculous idea, and we all sigh. (laughs) Those
1: boys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we need to talk to homunculus, Ed says, standing up. Al asks how they're going to do that. Ned says, one step at a time, and pulls out his silver pocket watch. I guess it's all right to use the privileges of my office from time to time. He uses said privileges to get into the building that Al and company had gone through to get to the underground lab where they confronted Lust. He comes back out a little later to report back to Al, who had to wait outside. Even at this hour, when I told them that I'm a state alchemist, they let me look around without any fuss, he says. But it turns out that the entrance to the underground tunnels is gone. Al worries that he made a mistake in the charming little map he drew, (laughs) but Ed doesn't think so. He thinks the entrance has been sealed up. There were faint traces of the telltale pixely alchemy marks on the wall where it would have been. (laughs) A clue <laughs> uh-huh. I like how that like mostly seems like a like aesthetic thing, but it becomes like it exists in universe and is part of the
1: mm-hmm.
0: part it's of very, the clue here. <laughs>
1: yeah. Very important, yes. Mm-hmm.
0: I guess they're not dumb enough to leave an entrance in plain view, he sighs, crumpling up the map. They start to think about what next steps should be, but they're interrupted by Brosh, who's finally managed to catch up to them to deliver his urgent message. Scar is alive, he says, handing over the notice. You need to go somewhere safe. Ed is shocked by this, but he quickly becomes more interested in the description listed in the bulletin, and the fact that it now describes Scar as having a tattoo covering his right arm. Ed remembers the Ishvalan woman describing the man who killed the Rockpels, and scowls as he makes the connection. Back in their hotel room, Ed shares his suspicions with Al, but they both hesitate to tell Winry about it without knowing for sure. I don't want to see her cry anymore, Ed says. But Ed declares that they'll have to confront Scar, both to find out the truth about Winry's parents and to lure the homunculi out. His logic being that if the homunculi are invested in keeping him alive for their plans, they'll come out to intervene if his life is put in danger by Scar. Seems like a long shot, Al says skeptically, pointing out that they got their asses handed to them in seconds the last time they tried to fight Scar. Though not in those words, Al's more polite than I am. <laughs> oh, did he really say that for a second? Because so she's yeah. kind of like skimming while reading. <laughs> We're a lot stronger than we used to be, Ed insists, nervously. Mm-hmm. Even if the homunculi show themselves, how do you plan to catch one? Al asks, and Ed mumbles that he'll think of something, hopefully. (laughs) Don't worry, I overheard everything, (laughs) Ling cheerfully announces from the window where he and Lan have snuck back in. (laughs) Once Ed and Al have recovered from their minor heart attacks, Ling tells them that he wants to help them with their plan. Ed asks what he's scheming, and after a bit of teasing with the aren't we friends line, (laughs) Ling agrees to cut the crap and admits that he's interested in learning about the homunculi's secret too. He tells them that he and Lan can detect their presence when they get close enough. You guys lure them out, and we'll detect their presence, set up an ambush, and then grab one, he says with a grin. we battled them before, so it'll be easier for us to catch them. So how about it? Will you let us catch one? A joint effort, huh? Ed says, grinning just as eagerly. Agreed. He then warns them not to run off after catching the homunculus, and Ling promises that he has his word. Plus, I owe you a meal. A meal? Ed asks, confused. Until Al shows him Ling's room service bill. (laughs) That's more than just one meal, he screams, sending Ling and Lanfan back out through the window. <laughs> <laughs> Winry slams the door open and yells at them to keep it down, since so she has to get up early tomorrow. Oh yeah, you're going back to Rush Valley, Ed begins, then suddenly remembers how easily Scar destroyed his automail during their last fight, and tries to very subtly convince Winry to stay and see the sights in Central for a few more days. When she's understandably confused by this, he says, Well, it's just that, you know, my arm might get broken. Yeah, I'll probably break it, alright? And then the wrench comes out. So you're planning <laughs> to break it? <laughs> I like how Al's like, is this his soul? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the next morning, we get to see the beginnings of the plan. Oh no, someone has driven their car into a local food stand. It'll take weeks to rebuild. What will the owner do? It looks like you need some help, comes the heroic cry. <laughs> State alchemist Edward Elric to the rescue! And in comes Ed, posing dramatically, while Al waves little fans in the background. (laughs) Fear not, good shopkeeper. Damage like this can be fixed in a jiffy, he declares before swiftly repairing the stand with alchemy. A crowd begins to gather as the driver of the car asks how much he should pay him, and Ed loudly says, Pay me? I wouldn't dream of taking payment. (laughs) And He proceeds to solve all the problems he can, as ostentatiously as he can with his alchemy. Fixing an old man's cane, helping with the construction of a house, making a baby's carriage look way, way cooler.
2: <laughs>
0: Looking like a bullet bill with a narwhal horn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Edward Elric, State Alchemist, he announces <laughs> to the gathered crowd. If you want me, you know where to find me. <laughs> it's it's gonna a flawless plan. This can only go well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we then see the resulting gossip filtering through the city, hitting both May, who gets a <laughs> new fuel for her fantasy version of Ed. <laughs> And the furious son, Salem, who is apparently quite the fan and is very sad that his teacher won't let him out of his studies to go and meet the little alchemist.
1: <laughs> the little alchemist. <laughs> I want to meet the little alchemist. The little alchemist.
0: <laughs> Taking a break from heroics at a cafe, Ed leans back and proudly declares that the whole city is talking about him and they just have to wait for Scar to hear. A car then pulls up next to them. The window rolls down and Roy says, you're behaving most out of character. <laughs> Ed grumps for a minute that this isn't the attention he wanted to get, but leans in the window to quietly tell Roy that he's gotten all the details from Lieutenant Ross, and also that he heard about what happened to Havoc. Couldn't Dr. Marco cure him? Ed asks, but Roy cuts him off and tells the boys to get in the car so they can exchange information. He then swiftly changes his mind when Al crushes him against the window with his bulk (laughs) and suggests they talk outside instead. (laughs) Risa drives them to an empty back alley, and they begin to discuss what's going on. Roy explains that Marco and his incomplete philosopher's stone are both missing and likely taken by the homunculi. And Ed, frustrated, says that he doesn't understand why. Dr. Marco used to make stones for the military in their labs. He said that the stones were used in Ishval, he says. The philosopher's stone, the homunculi, the military's dark side, Ishval. How are they all connected? What happened in Ishval? Roy very noticeably sidesteps this question with a, Speaking of Ishval, I heard that Scar is around. And notes that Ed's recent behavior almost makes it seem like he wants Scar to find him. I do want him to find me. I need to fight him again, Ed says. Don't be ridiculous. Did you forget the battle in East City? The two then begin taunting each other over being afraid of Scar, as 15-year-olds and very mature adult military <laughs> men do. Roy's 15 at heart, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Until Risa draws their attention by suddenly readying her gun. Ed has gotten his wish. Scar has arrived. Ed and Roy tease each other a little bit more, though they're now both visibly nervous and sweating then Ed prevents Risa from taking a shot at Scar, saying that he's taking a page from Roy's book and doing a little fishing. Scar makes his first attack, splitting the ground and setting the car flying, and everyone jumps to dodge out of the way. Al takes a moment to explain their plan to Roy and Risa, and Roy protests that they're gambling their lives on very low odds. What are you going to do if Scar is shot down by the military police before the homunculi appear? Well then, you'll just have to make sure that doesn't happen, Al says. You're giving me orders? Roy asks. You boys have a lot of nerve. But he waves them off and just says they better share the spoils when they catch their homunculus. The boys engage Scar and Roy, noticing that they're near the tower from their last fishing expedition, and therefore close to Fury's hideout, decides to head in that direction, with Risa commandeering some poor couple's car for the trip. <laughs> and up on the rooftops, Ling and Lanfan stand ready. Ed and Al are struggling for a bit with their fight, trying to maintain a safe distance while still preventing the military police from intervening. Hurry up and find the homunculi, Ling, Ed thinks as he dodges away again. Fortunately, they have help on the way in the form of Roy and Risa. They've settled in at Fury's radio communication station and located his list of military frequencies. Roy tunes into the police HQ and gives a false report. This is Central City Police, Sector 3 Patrol. We're under attack from SCAR, requesting immediate reinforcements. I repeat, requesting immediate reinforcements. Oh no, there he is. He's coming this way, ah! And then cuts off the transmission. <laughs> All right, Sector 17 is next. Okay. Ah, this is getting fun. Risa looks slightly unamused. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I call Roy's holding his nose. That's yeah. <laughs>
0: But it does its job. HQ is in an uproar as more and more Scars apparently appear all over the city. The Fuhrer listens into the chaos over the radios, then silently emerges from his car into a narrow, empty street. He calls for Gluttony, who emerges eagerly from an alley nearby, salivating over the scent of the Ishvalan he never got to eat. As these players step out onto the field, Ling and Lanfon jump into action. Back at the Scar fight, Ed finds himself cornered as Scar bears down with his destructive right hand. Which will it be? He thinks frantically. Will he destroy my body or my automail? As Scar gets closer, Ed quickly slams his hands together, then meets the attack head-on with his own right hand. The resulting energy sends both parties flying back and shreds the cloth of their sleeves, but Ed is unharmed and undamaged. Phew, I lucked out, he says with a triumphant grin. You negated the destruction energy, Al cries. You're so reckless. <laughs> but now Scar's tattoo is bared for them to see, and Ed and Al both quickly take notice. You bastard, Ed growls. Could you really have killed Winrys? But we cut back to Ling and Lanfan where they've easily managed to surround Gluttony and halt him in his tracks. Though unfortunately, they haven't noticed fear Bradley watching from nearby. You cannot escape, Lan says to Gluttony as she perches on a power pole above him. Your presence is most distinctive. Anywhere you run, I can track you down. Just how many are there inside of you? Hmm, so you can sense its presence, Bradley calmly notes to himself from down below. That must be how you identified Envy. He draws two of his swords, and his expression grows menacing. It's a troublesome ability. I must eliminate it. Lanfhan finally takes notice of him as he draws near, but doesn't immediately know to be concerned. I have no quarrel with a human. Leave, she begins to say, but Bradley has run directly at the pole she's perched on, reaching her before she has a chance to finish. Lanfon, run, Ling shouts, too late as the fear strikes her with both blades. Dun, dun, dun. No!
3: <laughs> sad we don't get to see the butt blade this time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is what I was most sad about, yes. He's like Lanfon. Not fun, no. not long, long. she's too cool to be grievously injured in this story <laughs> yeah. that's the part where i started reading and couldn't stop for several i <laughs> uh, mean all the rest of this volume i guess <laughs> i mean that's fair <laughs> <laughs>
0: this is one of the most cliffhangery endings of our episodes yeah oh, probably yeah. so far
1: because <laughs> normally if it's like that cliffhanger you would read all like the next chapter or whatever but
0: mm-hmm. not so much this time yeah. Yeah, it continues for a while. So yeah,
1: no, like yeah.
0: five chapters at
1: once. No, so. I really do love Roy and Ed's like teasing that it was hilarious. It is very fifteen-year-old mm-hmm. boy of them, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I would know. I
0: was fifteen-year-old boy once. I mean, <laughs> I actually do like that as like, like you can kind of tell that the like actual animosity that Ed holds for him, yeah, faded at this point. Like, yeah. he's still like grumpy about it, but they obviously like kind of get along now. Yeah, yeah. Now that he knows the truth. With well, the truth about
1: what you mean that Roy's great,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean kind of. I think, uh, <laughs> I think he probably thought his like persona was mostly what it seemed to be. It's like you know, wanting to wanted to get ahead for
2: mm-hmm.
0: apparently selfish reasons. But after you know finding out all the effort he went to to keep Maria Ross safe, right? That, uh, made him realize that like okay, he's he's a decent dude. He can like, be trusted. <laughs> like I don't like him but
1: <laughs> I mean it's okay to not like someone even if they're a good person I guess <laughs> yeah. yeah that's reasonable oh so many things happened I was just l- yes. like hold on yeah. I gotta look at my notes to get reoriented because like okay. the very first note I have is like asked Izumi the same question about you know like how Hohenheim was like was that really Trisha and so he mm-hmm, called dude. Natsuzumi was that really your child that you transmuted
0: but it mm-hmm. seems like so long ago. <laughs> it yeah, like... it really yeah. is. If you look at where we started at the beginning of chapter 44 and then where we ended the chapter... It's like, completely like, the end right? of chapter 45. We like... were
1: still talking about, yeah, the the questionable transmutation stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, a I guess it's kind of a transitional chapter because I think the next part, this next fight lasts for a little bit. So mm-hmm. it kind of, it makes sense, but yeah, it wasn't completely yeah. the end, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was
0: trying to... Like when I was figuring out how to split these, I was like, "Well, most of chapter forty-five is not the fight that it starts." So. <laughs> exactly. It's just, but it, seemed, it was so action packed at the mm-hmm. end that it felt like a lot. But no, but yeah, like you were saying earlier, this is the first time we've seen uh, Azumi's uh, transmutation attempt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I, I, got, I thought that yeah. we were discussing
1: in the middle of the first yeah. two, the first chapter. <laughs> it's fine. It's okay, you were just eager. I was. I was so eager because because everybody was everybody was relieved. That they didn't kill their loved ones a second time,
0: yeah, which is
1: nice actually. Mm-hmm. You you've said the chapter was sad, which it was. It was very sad, but also like,
0: yeah, like think like emotional is more the right word. It's not really it sad stuff, but it's yeah. like stuff that made me cry. Yeah, <laughs> read it.
1: <laughs> the whole yeah, a lot of it is <laughs> upsetting. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: it's yeah, it's emotional because like you're work. like, oh, they didn't. Yeah, yeah I don't like know. I it. It it's the relief. first
0: time reading it. teared up when
1: Alice, is like got his head in his hand and says, I didn't kill mom. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: And Izumi's like, I didn't kill my baby. And you're like, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> you can see Al- Al's voice, I guess, is meant to be shaky. There's like one of those mm-hmm. panels where he's talking, where it's all like, wob- the lines all wobbly
0: around his speech. Mm-hmm. And you can see that he's like shaking. Yeah. yeah. And this is one of the um, kind of like, I guess the most obvious example of uh like we talked about a bit about how how much emotion our car manages to get on Al, mm-hmm. yeah, even he's got an unmoving face. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: there's that one panel where there's like the reflections under his eyes that obviously look like tears. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. You mean where he's like, I don't want to, I don't want to be alone all night anymore, yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that was traumatizing when I read it. So yes, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Their renewed determination is nice. It's like it's yes. um, emotional, but. Um, the good kind, <laughs> not yeah. sad. I don't know how to describe mm-hmm. it. I'm a little tired. Listen, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah, it feels like they've been kind of like wavering on it mm-hmm. ever since um since he's finding out about Hughes' death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, since finding out about Hughes' mm-hmm. death specifically. So it's nice to see them with like renewed, you know, yeah, determination
1: and mm-hmm. everything. And then on top of that, Ed seems to feel like the these discoveries point to his body being available somewhere mm-hmm. yeah you know, it's not clear where I guess in the void but he didn't specifically say that that's just what's implied I yeah. guess in the void I don't even know what it's called The in the truth the, the, the truth realm. land the shadow realm <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the shadow
0: realm <laughs> in truth land the worst amazement part it's like in flatland <laughs> yeah I guess the other thing
1: is that we learned about specifically about Trisha Elver is that she said that she wasn't able to keep her promise to Hohenheim and that promise was mm-hmm. that she died before him. That's what she said to Pinako in the memory. Pinako didn't tell that to Ed though. She was like, uh, okay. tell him not to keep, tell him that, tell Hohenheim that she didn't keep his prompt. She didn't keep their promise. And he was mm-hmm. like, okay, whatever. She was like, I don't know what it was, but whatever, but she definitely knows what it was. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, I think, um, at least that's my interpretation that I'm choosing based on this
0: yeah I think it's like they have something to do with each other but it might not be clear that that's like strictly her promise because yeah I think it's implied that Panako does say the whole thing she said to Ed
3: yeah that, that's sort of the impression I got okay as well is that like
0: maybe she, she may have it. said
3: that but um
0: yeah I think it might be like I'm not able to keep my promise
1: because I'm I'm dying um, before he comes mm, back yeah like, that's possible mm-hmm. I always interpreted it based on this, and by always I mean for the last several weeks, or however long it's been. <laughs> that mm-hmm. the promise was that they, because also Hohenheim said it's something at the grave, like, oh,
0: just a little while
1: longer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
0: I think yeah. that to me implies that there was something that involved her waiting for him to get back. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I definitely so, agree with he that.
0: Wasn't able to keep it because she died. Yes. <laughs>
1: Okay, well, who knows what it is? Take a look at it's the a pretty Japanese good excuse is is as it... far as. No, do you <laughs> want me? Yeah, death is, is death is the ex... only excuse.
3: Is it very explicitly in Japanese? Like, I didn't. I am going to die before you die. <laughs> oh, I so seriously death that it's explicit. You
1: but da, I'll da, I'll... <laughs> <die>. <laughs> yeah. I feel like every time we're hey, like, what's what the same problem in Japanese? Never, ever explicit. more explicit than the English. It's Always like, tell him, tell him that I didn't keep that. And it's like, what? Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Or something. (laughs) Mm. Hold on. I was looking at Scar.
0: (laughs) Looking at Scar because he's pretty.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So sexy. I love a (laughs) man who can just tear me apart. Um, Literally explode me.
0: (laughs) Well, he is apparently a well-built, swollen man. That's what it says,
1: (laughs) yeah. I laughed when it said well built. I was like, I mean, I guess he is. He's, he's been lifting all the concrete and rebar. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was I looking for? <laughs> oh, here it is. <laughs> oh, Cosm. I can't translate uh-huh. that fast. <laughs> I was like, oh, Pinaco." Okay, I can read that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she doesn't even say Hohenheim. It says Pinako, Anohitoga, blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> Uh, so that person that person Mm -hmm. see sorry i forgot no it's vague i mean as far as i can tell by reading it very quickly like Mm -hmm. tell that person that the promise or i wasn't able to keep that promise whatever essentially the joke that i made about it being vague is true so Mm
2: -hmm.
1: at least it's not certainly not explicit but yeah i mean i think it's similar (laughs) to the translation where
0: it's like what did she say she said tell him that i couldn't keep my promise to him i'll be passing on before him and please tell him that i'm sorry
1: so yeah no i think it i think it essentially says essentially i believe it says what is it in the translation um, what were we talking about i got distracted the promise yeah okay. oh yeah
3: whether whether the oh, promise was was it specifically was that about
1: yeah. how she died i mean it's yeah. just like i think it is like because because she was because she was whatever because she was dying mm-hmm. she wasn't able to keep his prom- keep their promise I guess, like, because of the way it's written, you can draw the in Japanese. To me, you can draw the conclusion that it's unrelated to her being alive or dead. It's just that she wasn't able to keep it because she died, (laughs) as stated. (laughs) So that makes sense. But that's still interesting. So now Ed knows about it. I guess that's the new development, really, because we knew about it from last time, right? Yeah. A few chapters ago, because he whatever. Well, I guess Ed had heard, but he probably didn't pay attention to what Hohenheim said at the grave. He was all being all shouty.
0: Yeah, he was just like snapping back at everything he said. Yeah
1: pinako was like just remember remember the promise and we as the audience were like okay i heard mm-hmm. you Hohenheim and pinako and trish past well, I guess
3: they had they had a promise with each other because didn't he say i wasn't able to keep my promise too or something like that did he say that
1: mm-hmm.
0: i don't recall it's i thought he was i think he said like we promised each other yeah something. something
3: like yeah, that. yeah okay yeah yeah yeah
1: he would never say that he's like my house you burned down my house You broke
0: my promise. (laughs) You know? I think it does make it clear that, um, like, Trisha was, like, aware of whatever his reason for leaving was and was, like... Yeah. She didn't seem mad. She definitely didn't seem...
1: Like, Ed interprets... Ed is like, oh, you left us, you left us. Like, he's mad at Hohenheim. But Trisha Mm -hmm. didn't seem... Like, when she was dying, at least in that scene, it wasn't like she was like, oh, Hohenheim... I wish Honhai would come back. I have no idea why he left or whatever. Like Yeah.
0: It's definitely yeah, like she seemed pretty serene about the whole situation. That's true. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, but through all of that we also learned that Wait, did we already talk about Al? No,
3: no, no we didn't. Okay. So really Yeah, didn't. that crazy development. So yeah, so
1: Ed learned Oh, we talked about his We talked about Al's determination, but Ed said that his yeah. body can be restored and that the reason is because There's two things that we learned about Al. The reason is because he thinks that Al's body is, exists. No, I think we did talk about this. It feels like deja vu. but We started his... to, and I think we got sidetracked. Oh, we got sidetracked? Video. But, like, um, the reason that he thinks his body still exists is because he's making new memories mm-hmm. based on the sort of, like, alchemical theory of body and mm-hmm. mind and soul or spirit and soul or whatever. It's whatever yeah. the way they describe it, which we learned about before. But now it's mm-hmm. important.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I also love how, like, like, the gag of, like, Ed not remembering the like fight about marrying Winry when they were kids from many chapters ago is like no like <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> <it too. laughs>
1: yeah exactly <laughs> like like in this thing and that thing so he has memories that Ed didn't create which was important it was important last time because that was how he was like but you remember stuff that I don't even know so how could I have made your memories how could you be fake mm-hmm. so that's but yeah so it's come back again so that's interesting um, and then the other really creepy thing was that Al's soul was in the transmutation body. The trans-
3: yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because Ed is like, that thing looked at me. And the next chapter, Al's like, oh, yeah, I
0: remember seeing you from that thing. It's like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it's horrifying. Which is kind of interesting, combined with Izumi's flashback. Because like, we don't see much of her transmutation result, probably because a hideously transformed child would be worse yeah but um, maybe
1: even worse than the hideously transformed freaky
0: adult yeah Um, but it doesn't seem to be moving no
1: it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem to well I mean yeah we didn't see the scene but it definitely didn't seem it's kind of like what we were so last time we kind of surmised that like to do alchemy you have to kind of envision what you want so if you bring all those elements together and you envision like a small child like maybe you get a body a human body Mm -hmm. you know it might have like all the bits but no soul Mm -hmm. So yeah, in this mm-hmm. case, in her case, with no owl soul there, yeah. maybe it was just she like didn't dead have a spare
0: soul lying around for yeah <laughs> for the transportation.
1: <laughs> so no. so yeah, so maybe yeah maybe mm-hmm. the, guy, seems the body like was owl's never alive soul
0: temporarily being in the in the not Trisha cost is what made it kind of cause the wheezing for a little bit yeah, yeah. maybe that's what's implied to me at least Yeah, it's horrifying it's a good thing Alan doesn't remember more than just <laughs> yeah yeah it. really yeah, he wasn't
1: like oh I felt like my whole body was in pain or whatever <laughs> yeah mm. so many awful other horrible things that could have happened but yeah mm-hmm. well he barely remembered going through the um going through the door and stuff anyway so yeah mm-hmm. Feel like it's canonical that he could just not remember and be feeling like that. He probably blocked mm-hmm. it out. Yeah, he really remembers that thing with the yeah. wiggly arms. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was horrifying. But anyway, the good news is that it attached him to a, a suit of armor that's mm-hmm. only slightly less of a ticking time bomb than this. The yeah. weird, slightly less was. body horror than slightly you know.
0: less body <laughs> horror,
1: except for how he's walking around with like half of his body missing. Like, yeah, it could be yeah. creepy. I mean, it, could, it was, it was, I totally forgot about that until, cause we've, I've, we've seen it for so long, like so many chapters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ed was like, what happened? I was like, oh yeah, this is yeah. kind of horrifying. <laughs> Whenever he has his mouth like not covered, like the open mouth was mm-hmm. always a little bit uncanny to me. Yeah. I mean, kind of like sadly uncanny, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uncanny and sad. Is that a thing that's possible? I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like something uncanny and sad is like the baby hand in the <laughs> pool of blood, yeah. <laughs> horrifying, something mm-hmm. like that. But anyway, I guess that's all of this is theoretically good news. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we've really talked about how all of this information made everybody feel relieved, like they hadn't yeah. caused more, you know, damage to the people that they cared about, both for or for Ed Al and Izumi. Um, mm-hmm. So
0: that was nice in the end. Yeah. And it also theorizes that he's um, eating for two. Yeah, I know. I thought that was really yeah. funny, and I wanted to say that the whole
1: time <laughs> that you were reading that part, <laughs> so they were like, you gotta, you gotta rest more, <laughs> and you gotta drink <laughs> your milk, because he's eating for two <laughs> and sleeping mm-hmm. for two. There's, is there? There's gotta be infrequent about this. <laughs> <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> <laughs> it can't not be. It can't not happen. I feel like one other thing that's kind of interesting about the whole, especially about Al's body. And this is in relationship to havoc. Al has this rant where he's like, "You know, I met some people who weren't really human, but they managed to find meaning in their existence. and made me realize that I can live a full life and that people care about me. don't the people who care about me don't treat me like differently, you know, like because of the body that he's in. And
0: mm-hmm. I think coupled
1: with like havoc's um kind of like outburst at Roy, I feel like there's a very interesting message about like disability in these chapters that we haven't really seen yet. yeah, mm-hmm. uh, like that's just something that I noticed i don't even know if that's like really a theme but al's al's body being i don't know kind of like a bird like it's transitioned from being like really useful to a ticking time bomb like we've seen mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. in these recent chapters yeah. so i feel like there's kind of an interesting yeah. little
0: message there I do think there's a, yeah. yeah i do think there's a consistent like undercurrent of like the idea of disability to the whole series since mm-hmm. i mean ed is technically a double amputee yes yeah there's a lot of people with prosthetic devices and Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and there's like you know they discuss things about like like oh the prosthetic industry had a boom after the war Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and i think our card does a pretty good job of like you know even though ed has like you know special magical prosthetics Mm -hmm. like there's still a
1: lot of issues that go along with them
2: Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah it's not like it works perfectly all the time in fact, mm-hmm. it works perfectly. it like it gets broken a lot. It gets damaged a lot, and it hinders yeah. him yeah. a lot. And that mm-hmm. one time
0: he cut it off like a gecko, <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> because of that,
0: <laughs> yeah, because like we see both how he like him like without it several times mm-hmm. like while he's waiting for it to be repaired. And we also see like issues with it with like him having like aches in it, and yeah, like yeah. more recently in the chapter where they're going through the desert where the heat of it that's right. it's like almost unbearable for him. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, you're right. He said his joints were
1: aching when it was starting to rain or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and even like the fact, I mean, he grows and he has to have it replaced and stuff like that. Like it's not. Yeah. And the fact that the like normal rehabilitation takes like multiple years. Yeah. And... Mm-hmm. Not if you're a determined child, I guess. But... Yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: also took him a year or whatever. Didn't they yeah, say it was yes. going to take two years? At least? I think it's a three. three. I don't know. But I was like, one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, and he was like, you know, feverish and whatever. Like, it wasn't an Mm -hmm. easy recovery. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of, it's an interesting undercurrent. And I think Mm -hmm. it's treated, I mean, as far as I can tell, treated in like a positive way. But I felt like this, these two chapters together made it a little more explicit or was more part of the main content of the chapters.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, think, I, think I think the I said... stuff with havoc is definitely making it more part of the forefront. Yeah, yeah. They even bring up like, yeah, can he have auto? Other like or? downsides of automail. With that is that like you know he can't get automail because it has to connect to the nerves yeah. and there's no yeah. like nerve sensation no. down there anymore. Automail so. isn't magic. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's science
1: magic, just like alchemy. <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> oh, I was also going to say they it's handled similarly to how Ed and Al are kids how. It's not brought up. Sometimes you forget about it. Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's you know like, it's seen as a bad thing. You know they're children in positions where they kind of in situations at least that they shouldn't be in. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But people don't treat them differently. But also sometimes you know they need to. And yeah, mm-hmm. that's
0: true.
3: I, don't know, I I think it I think it has a lot of similar like you you kind of see both sides of it and uh, everything like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's fairly like realistic. Like oh yeah. On both sides. It's like, it's just kind of there. It's not always, like, front and center.
3: Mm-hmm. But,
0: you know, different people have different reactions to it, and it comes up in different ways. We saw a lot of reactions yeah. in the scene with Havoc, too, where,
1: you know, his mother yeah. leaves crying,
0: yeah. and Havoc
1: is kind of, like, you know, angry and kind of given up, or not giving up, but he he tries to insist that Roy give up on him,
0: and Roy's yeah. like, fuck you, <laughs> and leaves. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I think Havoc's reaction is really interesting, because he starts off with this, like, like, he's acting like he's really calm and, mm-hmm. and fine with it. But then, like, you can see him get, like, more frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. Until he, like, finally snaps at Roy. Yep.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was interesting. I don't have a lot to say about it, but this specific time reminded me of that. I think it is kind of a running thing, definitely. Especially because mm-hmm. of the, the significant need for automail and prosthetics yeah. in Nemestris, mm-hmm. for sure.
3: So something that, um I don't know, never clicked with me is, at least in the anime when they talk about Azumi, they just say that she's missing some internal organs. That that was her price to pay was, you know, yeah. some internal or- organs. And, you know, she's always coughing up blood. So I was always like, what? What organs did they take? Like, she just not have, like, a stomach, intestines, <laughs> a lung. And I guess it makes more sense that it's probably just like her reproductive organs
1: yeah it's unspecified but she's yeah. but i when she said i can't have children i was like okay that's probably what the truth took like it's kind of yeah i always thought that yeah. specifically but i mean yeah it seems like there's more right yeah it, be, yeah. it seems like, like, like cough up blood if like you they were <laughs> if you don't have a yeah, uterus. it seems like it was like <laughs> they were <laughs>
0: taken out in a not very clean way but, yeah
1: but like... <laughs> the truth the truth doesn't have a human form it doesn't know anything about human anatomy <laughs> yeah.
3: he's not a fucking doctor yeah, really. <laughs> doesn't know how to do surgery like, i don't know how to spay
1: a human yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't have infinite wisdom i have infinite knowledge of the but, universe
0: but i'm not very good with mm-hmm. the scalpel you know <laughs> yeah. but yeah i did notice this time if you look in her flashback um like she's coughing up blood, yes. and then blood also seems to be coming from uh, between the legs region. Yeah, definitely. I mean, mm. there's blood everywhere, but particularly yeah, and also everywhere. possibly from her like abdomen itself. So it was a rough removal. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: Do you think it's actually like cut open? Hold on, wait. Let's examine the gore in detail.
0: Yeah. It does
1: kind of look like that. Well, there's blood on her shirt. But that there's blood mm. on her hands, and there she's coughing. Yeah, it up could blood just be her too. grabbing
0: at like everything in pain but i mean yeah
1: yeah i don't know she's like in a pool of blood it's hard to tell mm-hmm. but yeah who knows i mean i kind of feel like it was more than just her like whatever reproductive organs mm-hmm. yeah but probably mostly because yeah yeah she specifically says the truth has a the truth is like cruel but fair or something like that yeah mm-hmm. but i guess in the end they all learned from their mistakes
0: <laughs> yeah only took a little dismemberment.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, they made, they did the ultimate sin or whatever, so. Mm-hmm. The n- next note that I have in my notes is that Ed was, he was right about thinking that Greed rebelled against the homunculi and also that Bradley is a homunculus.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too smart. Mm-hmm. But I do love how they're like, that's an- impossible. It's possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and Al said that Lust said that the only one, the only people who... Have the power to open the portal or chosen as sacrifices. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not really implied if there's something else special about them other than that they have opened the portal. Like I can't really tell, Mm -hmm. because like they don't. I mean, like we don't know if Roy opened the portal. Just seems like Mm -hmm. he's really powerful and determined, right? So.
3: Well, didn't they call him a candidate and not? Yeah, I think they made a.
0: Oh. specified a difference between actual human sacrifices and, like, potential human sacrifices. Okay, so they have, like, a recruitment yeah. system where <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. there's potentials and there's definite. Yeah, because, like, when in the Battle with Lush she the said something about, you. like, not wanting one... Yeah. <laughs> she said something about, like, not wanting to, like, waste, like, two potential sacrifices in one night, mm. and then, like, when Al does his transmutation to show that he's, like, seen going through the portal and everything, she's like, oh, darn I have to get rid of a confirmed human sacrifice. Oh, okay. Like yeah. Maybe. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I might have just missed that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I wonder why they think that about Roy. That's interesting. I guess we'll maybe we'll find out.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah. You're like, yeah, no, but yeah, but no. no. <laughs> but yeah. yeah.
3: Well, I mean, I <laughs> think people with gumption. <laughs> yeah. Powerful <laughs> optimists and, and with personality, gumption. Talent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, potential uh you know, post war serial killer types or whatever. People yeah. who <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> gumption. <laughs> people mm-hmm. with Hutzpah. Mm -hmm. yeah but anyway that was interesting
3: well so another big revelation um, on top of that was that Lanfan doesn't sense uh, Bradley any differently Mm -hmm. because like he's a homunculus but she can't they can't tell
1: yeah I was wondering that she didn't notice or that she can't tell because she can they can sense the power I mean they can sense the presence of multiple souls or whatever but Mm -hmm. does that mean that like him being there with greed covered it up or is it that he doesn't have the same. Uh, he doesn't give off the same vibes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it I seems I, like I... there's a difference there because, could like, we... when they fought,
0: um, like gluttony and envy, they were in the same like proximity to each other, but they could tell that they were both. That's true. Yeah. And
1: also, she was like, "I have no quarrel with humans" or whatever.
0: So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, like, to, like when he comes close, he starts to be like, "I don't want to deal with humans." Suspicious. I, know,
3: but... I mean, we do know that he's a bit different because he can age. That's true. Um, among other things. So I don't mm-hmm. know.
1: That's true yeah i don't know depends on well i mean i guess a technically the definition of a homunculus is you know like a human made with alchemy or whatever it's not necessarily they have a philosopher's stone it's just that the could be yeah the ones that we've seen have except for well i mean we don't know about bradley but the ones that we've seen confirmed like lust had a philosopher's Mm -hmm. stone inside her that powers her so like we don't know if if the Führer can die have we seen him die i forget probably not right Nobody killed him. I think so. He's too fast. No, I
0: don't think we have. Yeah. 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 He kills everyone. <laughs> yeah.
3: Just the the sheer force it takes to move that fast is what kills him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's like every time he moves, he dies. <laughs> it's kind of like the opposite of a shark. Yeah, really? Because <laughs> they have to keep
1: moving. <laughs> Maybe. His greatest sacrifice. His battlefield <laughs> sacrifices were himself mostly. Yeah. Well, you got to be careful when you have five swords. You know, the five sword butt technique can only get you so far. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is interesting though. I'm really upset about Lan Mm Fan. I know what happens and I'm still upset, so it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. She's gonna be fine. It's totally fine, right? Yeah.
0: I do feel like that's the moment where you're like, I didn't realize I cared about (laughs) Lanfan, but I definitely do. Mm
1: -hmm. I (laughs) definitely yeah, she's kind of always like around. Like, I like how she's, like, mm-hmm. popping in the window with Ling. Yeah. yeah. Um. And, like, yeah, she's there, and it's, and it's like, I think we like her because Ling likes her, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, when Ling is like, hey, are these guys making fun of me? Or, like, she's just kind of around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's definitely likable. But, yeah. But, yeah, I feel like we trusted her, you know? I trusted that Ling and Longfang weren't going to get hurt, but I was mm-hmm. wrong. <laughs> I was learning to falsehood security. You know, we were overly confident. They could sense the homunculi. They seem to have their yeah. their plan. Also. I mean, the whole Ed's plan and Ling's plan is like, you called him the Prince of Poor Judgment before, and as soon as they were like, let's team up, I was like, this is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, this it's... is a bad idea. And then Roy's like, it's a bad idea, but I like it. <laughs> I'll help you. Yeah.
0: Definitely a reckless plan, but it seems sound logically.
1: <laughs> it's like, and then we'll lure him out, and then I guess I'll figure it out <laughs> somehow. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Didn't seem like a good plan to yes. me, but whatever.
0: Yeah, it's definitely the plan that um, two hot-headed 15-year-olds will come up with. <laughs> and Roy.
1: Three hot-headed 15-year-olds. Yeah, and Roy.
0: <laughs>
1: Risa was like, you should just... Two hot-headed 15-year-olds in a man-child. <laughs> Risa's like, why didn't you guys just let me shoot him?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, it's not going great at the, as of the end of this chapter, so I guess we'll find out what happens next point. time. Yeah.
0: Well, technically, it worked. <laughs> they did lure out, out scar, and the homunculus showed yeah, up. Yeah, they lured
1: the they lured out they they fished out a homunculus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think it's
0: going to end well for anybody. But <laughs> this is the like question mark question mark question mark part of the yeah really for the uh, step profit. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's an old meme. Do the kids know? I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess they all know about Ed's. They all know about Scar's tattoo now. We knew about it before. We had talked about how Ed doesn't know, mm-hmm. but now Ed knows. And he knows about yeah, the rock yeah. Bells and we know about Ed's scar. I still don't think that they were – I still don't believe that it was Scar, but I know. I feel like we're being led to believe that it was Scar. And I may mean, perhaps mm-hmm. I'll eat my hat later, but that's okay. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it's fine. That's still what I think. I do like how, like, as, as soon as Ed reads the bulletin that has that description, he's just like, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that fucking <laughs> asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: I do like how you specifically pointed out that Pinako was like, how did they die? And he was like, oh, no, they didn't say. Yeah. And she was like, "Mm mm-hmm, that sounds about right. Yeah. (laughs) Sure, you don't know. Nobody has to know. Ed can keep that to himself.
0: For sure, yeah, they made the they make the bad choice to not tell Winry until they're sure again, which went so well last time with Hughes's <laughs> death.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: She's gonna see uh like the bulletin about
1: Scar, and then the, find like an article in the newspaper that was like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> new evidence uncovered in Rockbell murder in Ishval. <laughs> <laughs> it's determined that a- it's gonna be like these goddamn papers. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they keep telling people shit. <laughs> you got to stay one step ahead of the news, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely wasn't a good plan. But also, like, I mean, Ed didn't know about... I mean, I guess he knew as soon as he found out the bulletin. Like, he heard the bulletin. So he Mm -hmm. knew before the fight. It's not like he found Mm -hmm. out during the fight. But then he he reacted to the tattoo during the fight where he's like, oh my god, the tattoo. And it's like, you read it in the fucking bulletin.
3: I I think it's more of, like, he wasn't 100% sure. Like, he wanted to see it for himself. Maybe, maybe. that's
1: true. Yeah. It's like a tattoo on his arm and then it's just like a little like butterfly or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) It's it can't be him, it can't possibly be him. (laughs) But yeah. Well, that's great. Nothing bad can happen.
0: Multiple multiple things at the end of this chapter. Nothing nothing can go wrong next time.
1: (laughs) The um the last thing that I want to talk about was like the um May and Scar and Yoki situation. (laughs)
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess
1: we also learned in that conversation that the origin of Scar's tattoo is from history, mm-hmm. as opposed to whatever mm-hmm. other thing it could have been. We didn't know before, so.
3: Yeah.
1: And it was Scar's brother... Scar's brother studied history, and this is, like, the culmination of his research or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also think is this the first time we have been told that his brother is dead. I think for sure. But it was kind mm-hmm. of implied when the... um. First of all, he didn't he have a dream where he was like brother, father or whatever. And then second, he mm-hmm. the when his master came and visited him, he was like, Oh, your brother would be disappointed or whatever, which is vague, but yeah. I feel like in a story like this it definitely means that he's dead. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: I think he'd definitely come to that conclusion. Yeah.
1: It's like he's probably
0: dead. I think this is the first time he it's confirmed specifically it. Said. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think so. And that he was killed by a state alchemist. Mm-hmm. That was also specific. So Yeah. I mean, I always assumed that Scar I mean it's obvious Scar has a thing for State Alchemist, but you know, it could be about Ishval, it could be personal, we don't really know about the about the war. It could be personal, we mm-hmm. don't really know. And I think now it's mm-hmm. kind of confirmed as personal. There's definitely a personal element. On yeah. top of just the um, you know, like horrific atrocities. Yeah, exactly. On top of <laughs> yeah. all the other horrific atrocities, it, he has some kind of personal beef. Yeah. Yeah, again, nothing can go wrong. Ed now knows that he's on the loose and that he killed the rock he thinks he killed the rock bells and also scars on the loose (laughs) he's already killed three alchemists according to three more alchemists according to the bulletin so Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I do also really enjoy Ed's flamboyant plan to um, to learn where it's
0: like it's me Edward the state alchemist Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I love him transmuting that baby (laughs) character yeah (laughs) and the mother's like hard yeah I know (laughs) he's
1: like I'm doing a great job and the mother's like what
0: (laughs) Like what am we gonna do with this? That really is one of my favorite running gags. It's <laughs> horrible taste.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a good running gag. I appreciate it very much. Mm-hmm. Or like the mask where he's like, "It's cool, right?" Like Lafon's mask. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was one of my favorite ones. That and the one time where he made the little spout that looked like him in the train, yeah. which was like quite <laughs> early on in the story. I forget exactly
0: when. Ed's reopened the uh, wound above his eye again, <laughs> so he's bleeding in a you know aesthetically <laughs> cool way. Oh, it's always good to have a cut on your face for
1: aesthetics. -hmm. Everybody knows that. (laughs) It only takes him one little, one little bump during the fight for that that Uh cut to reopen. I think you said it. You feel like it never heals. (laughs) Yeah, it sure seems like that. He needs to get some stitches on that thing. How come nobody's treated him for that yet? (laughs) He's like, I'm fine. I have like five (laughs) (laughs) bandages. Well they go to the hospital and they're like, Your your automail arm is falling off and like they're taking care of all these other problems that he has probably and then they're like, Let's put a butterfly bandage on that face. He won't get in another fight.
3: (laughs) (laughs) A butterfly bandage and to to go A butterfly tattoo. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Scar also has a butterfly tramp stamp. (laughs) This is a little known fact. (laughs) It's not reported in the bulletin. (laughs) That's canon, right?
0: There's nothing saying
1: it's not. <laughs> and if it's not explicitly in the in the canon, then it, if it's not not explicitly not in the canon, then it's definitely canon, right? <laughs> mm. I don't have any other things to say <laughs> that are important. <laughs> I just want it to be known throughout the land <laughs> that he has a trans stamp. Is it politically correct <laughs> to say trans stamp? Probably not.
0: <laughs> mm. Mm lower back back tattoo but (laughs) tramp stamp is so much better (laughs) Mm -hmm. i'm gonna say it's politically correct to use it for men (laughs)
1: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) i can get behind that (laughs) all right anyway next week (laughs) we're gonna be looking at 46 and 47 sounds fun
1: nothing bad can happen right
0: yeah, nothing. None of these. None of it these. It can only uh, things, get better from here, right? None of these things that started this chapter will will end in any horrible no, way. No, the f-
1: plan was foolproof, <laughs> and nothing bad even happened in this chapter. Lankhan's <laughs> gonna be fine against the Führer. Totally fine. Perfect. Perfectly mm-hmm. fine.
0: <sighs> <All right. laughs> well, anyway. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. As usual, thank we will see listening. you next time when we cry, probably. Yeah.
1: I'll be crying about Lawn until next time. <laughs> just come in crying. Is that okay? <laughs> like a little pre-cry and then a post-cry.
0: I'll be like, be like welcome to a cousin exchange. I'm Kayla. And you're I'm like, Ellen. Oh, Ellen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Believe it. You can count on me. <laughs> okay. Good. Alright.
0: We'll see you guys next time. Bye.
1: Bye bye. I'm going to eat my first cream egg. (laughs) I hope everyone's excited. But you have to say your name. What, you have to say your name when you eat it? Oh, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I need to say my name to eat this cream egg. Yes, it's the, cr- <laughs> the cream egg tradition never
0: no heard. <laughs> it's always your curse for 15 years. Does your
1: curses sound like you have a cream egg in your mouth when you talk <laughs> if you don't say your name first. <laughs> Do you like the sound of me chewing my cream egg?
0: <laughs> I just entertained that you got like three words into that sentence before you realized what I actually meant. Yeah, no. I was like, what are you even talking about?
1: <laughs> I'm not sorry.